Welcome to the Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. In this episode, we get the podcast on the rails with our special guest, Dan Breslin, Vice President, Intermodal CN. With 20 years of experience in international and domestic supply chain, and with the movement of goods around the world and through our vast nation of top priority for retailers coast to coast, never a better time to be delving into the insights, details, and product movement trends that retailers need to know today. I think pre-COVID, I would say that um, most of the big cargo owners, retailers, I think we're really running a, a true just-in-time uh, supply chain. And uh, if there's anything uh, that has changed, it's now uh, more where they want to have a little more landside flexibility and be able to make sure that their their large SKUs are, are more easily um the large SKUs that they, they, they sell in their stores are more easily uh, nearby, uh, ready to, 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 to fulfill the stores. Let's listen in now. Dan, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, uh, Michael. I look forward to our discussion. Yeah, listen, uh, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of uh, a big fan of your work, big fan of CN, and I love trains, I got to tell you, just like from being a little kid, but I also love them as, a, as being part of retail. Um, you know the the infrastructure and the movement of goods. It's I mean it's such a part rich part of the Canadian history, but it's so relevant today. So it's a nice juxtaposition of 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 uh, you know the the uniting of the nation, but also the um, the services you provide to retail and and your understanding of of uh, supply chain. Which uh, Dan, did you ever imagine this number of people in the country would be knowing what the word supply chain means? <laughs> Well, I mean, to, to your first point, you know, it's uh, it's kind of been exciting in the last couple of years with CN. Uh, you know, we're 100 years old now, actually 101, yeah. I think, this year. So, uh, you know, your mention of the history and, and the legacy of, of the railroad uh, is is something that's quite uh, quite exciting for us. And uh, I cannot uh, I cannot uh, fathom two, two years ago knowing what we would be going through now uh, yeah. in, in the supply chain. And, and you're right. I think. Uh, I think any every business owner has got a supply chain now, uh, you know, at the forefront of their of their mind. And I think yeah. that uh, the average person at home is learning about supply chain because they're waiting for those sorely needed vaccines. Well, and and it's more than vaccines, right? I mean, a it's vaccines, but it's also bike parts. It's everything, right? Like oh, yeah. it, it, yeah. it's it's a, it's a, you know, in, in this time last year at the beginning of uh, the COVID crisis, Canadians had a bit of a sense of food insecurity. Because they saw some empty shelves, and you know, it took a little bit of time for the, the supply chain to to react. But um, but generally, it's it's. I mean, it's probably the first time in my lifetime that that you just can't go out and buy what you want. You know, there's many many instances of back orders, and and there's complexities and in, in all the you know from manufacturing to to all that stuff. Which is why I'm I'm really excited to talk to you about it because um, you've got that front seat, so to speak. Uh, um, uh, view of everything that's going on but anyway i've, I've jumped right in uh let's step uh, take a step back and tell me about yourself uh your personal professional journey and your role at cn right on uh well i uh i started uh i started my uh, transportation career in the trucking industry working for the tnt group which became the tst group which is now part of tfi uh worked there for, for about five years and then i joined the railroad in 1999 uh, and I've uh, held about six uh, positions uh, in intermodal. So I've, I've spent most of my career in, in the inter- intermodal side of CN. And uh, right from uh, an entry-level account manager in 1999, 
uh, and I've kind of uh, went into the international side of the business in uh, 2009. Um, so I've, I've kind of got a good base on the domestic side. And, and for the last uh, nine, 10 years, I, I, I worked in the international side. And now I have got both domestic and international uh, 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 intermodal uh, under me. It's a great run, right? I mean, it's a great, uh, you know, yeah. a great background. Now, for now, for those listeners who may not know exactly, they may be familiar with the term intermodal, uh, but they may not know exactly what it means. Give us a, a, a quick brief on what intermodal is. Yeah, it's a container that's interchangeable onto a chassis for a truck for final delivery, first mile, last mile. It can go on a vessel and it can go on a train. Yeah. So the container can move anywhere you want it. You you move the containers, but on any given day. How many containers are moving around in your network? I'll just give an example. We have three trains a day uh, just at the port of Prince Rupert alone uh, that, that mm-hmm. come out of, the, out of the port with uh, over a thousand containers on it. So, you know, you layer that on with the port of Vancouver, port of Halifax, port of Montreal and New Orleans in the Gulf. And that, that's just the international segment. Uh, the domestic segment also has a robust train package with uh, with the multiple trains that are arriving and leaving Toronto uh, every day. Uh, going in all directions. So it's literally thousands of containers every day. So I've tried to count at, at while I'm waiting for a train to pass by. How many containers on average, you know, are, are on a train? Is it, it's less yeah. than a thousand? So, like, is there an average? I guess it's capacity, but what's the max capacity, I guess? So, you know, I would say that uh, trains uh, average uh, around, uh, you know, 10,000 feet in length. And if you've got a 10,000 foot train of, uh, of intermodal containers, you're looking at around, uh, Anywhere between 350, well, give or take 350 containers on that train. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about supply chain logistics as we headed into the COVID year. So let me take you back to this time last year, minus a couple of months. So pre-COVID, the before time. You know, your job is to move a, a massive amount of goods that arrive on our shores, or maybe even manufactured on our shores. So what? You know what were the best in class strategies for doing that? What what were the trends you saw in supply chain? You know, and, and we'll talk about them. Where I'm going with this is what's what have you what have you done as an organization to react to the COVID crisis and its characteristics, and then how the COVID crisis might um, impact or or frame what you do moving forward. But let's start in the before time because you know many of the things that happen during COVID are an acceleration of already existing trends. So what were those big trends when you talk to executives in supply yeah. chain? What what were you talking about? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, I think, uh, you know, pre-COVID, uh, we had a really good start to, uh, to 2020 in, in January and in the months leading up, um, you know, we were, we were really pushing um, um, our domestic uh, core business uh, with our, our trains. Uh, we were seeing um, a lot of um, e-commerce was growing at the time. So it was, it was something that we were, had our eyeball on. Uh, that's since been accelerated immensely here mm-hmm. through, through COVID, and I'm sure we'll get into that a bit later. The supply chain was really operating the same way it had already done. Um, you know, the ports uh, were busy, the the uh, the imports were were coming in. We still continue to move a lot of uh, U.S. Uh, destined cargo uh, through the ports. Um, we were uh, watching uh, real closely uh, and, and trying to get deeper into the uh, end customer and the BCOs or beneficial cargo owners. Uh, out there to try and understand a little bit more about their import and export strategies. And, and uh, at the time, we were really uh, trying to uh, bring the international and the domestic supply chains together because at the end of the day, they, they do interchange. And, and uh, 
and we were we were very much uh, we we wanted to break down the silos between those two businesses. So I mean, going into going into a pre-COVID, I mean, it was it was uh, you know full steam ahead, business as usual, um, and uh, we were starting the year off in January with a with a pretty robust kickoff and in, in volume uh, uh, at the beginning of the year. And then COVID started. I mean, I remember speaking to retailers in late January, February of last year. Uh, and mostly the concern was around supply chain. You know, would there would there be impacts coming out of China, particularly? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I described it as casting a shadow on retail. I had no idea it would be a full eclipse of the sun. Um, but now COVID is kind of we're a year into the COVID crisis. And and tell, talk about I've been reading a lot about and hearing a lot from retailers around the complexities and challenges in the supply chain. I alluded it to the to it at the beginning of the conversation. Um, you know, I hear congestion at ports. I hear, you know, a shortage of containers. I hear containers in the wrong places. Like what's your, as you step back, what's your global perspective to give the listeners an idea of, of exactly what's going on out there with the movement of well, goods globally? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we were watching what was happening in, in December and January, you know, in, in, in China with, uh, with COVID and, uh, you know, the, the whole, the whole concern was, was, well, is that, is that going to come here? And, uh, but, but at the same time, we, we were also asking ourselves, well, what is it going to do over there? Um, because, you know, we could be, we could be looking to consume a lot of goods. Uh, but if, if the factories aren't open and they're closed down, uh, then that's going to be an issue. So what we saw was a dramatic decrease on the import side, um, as, as COVID, uh, as, as, as China shut down and, and many of, uh, the nations uh, shut down over there. Uh, and with this massive decline in import volume, uh, you know, we were forced into, into a situation where we had to make sure we, we were managing our cost and, and, uh, and managing uh, how we were running our own uh, supply chain uh, internally to, to, to make sure that we had the, the right trains on the network to handle the volume that was there. That was very, that was a, a, a very trying time. Uh, and then as, mm. China became more, um, or, or, or we're, we're getting well, uh, that's when, uh, we were getting sick. I mean, that's when everything, everything really changed, um, when that happened. So as the volumes went down, what we saw was all of the grocery pharma, all of those goods took off. We kind of, as we were dipping down on our international volumes, our domestic volumes took off. And not only that, uh, the demand for uh, temperature protected equipment, you know, uh, refrigerated mm. containers, heated containers, uh, anything that would uh, be able to move pharma and, and, and grocery uh, goods into these 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 stores uh, was in high demand. And, and so, you know, we kind of we, we kind of got a, a really lucky that uh, the international uh, business dropped to the point where our terminals could stay extremely fluid and extremely responsive to the market so that we could be fast and, and, and get the goods out as soon as possible. Well, and it's not like you don't, you know, that's not part, it's not like that's not part of your DNA anyway, uh, to be fast and nimble, but this, this kind of, I'm sure, uh, you know, as, as I've often said, the supply chain is harder sometimes to start than it is to stop. Uh, which we, you know, merchants experienced uh, in the beginning of the year. Now, fast forward a year, yeah. December, January, February, and we've got kind of the opposite problem I, I hear is that you've got this this choke point where this massive demand of very big physical goods is coming in and, and the container issue. What, what do you know about the, uh, what do you think about the container shortage and traffic at the ports? What's your experience? 
Well, let's just talk about you know what happened. So we get into we get into June, July, August of last year, and and uh, you know the ocean container carriers were still forecasting uh, blank sailings based on volumes, and then within within uh, you know fifteen to thirty day uh, switch in July was hit, and the volumes just took off. And mm-hmm. I think it's just a, a function of the fact that um, you know people were starved for goods. I think people were. At home, uh, you know, looking to shop. That's when we watched the e-commerce. A lot of the, you know, it happened in my house where where mm-hmm. packages were showing up every day to the door. I know that yeah. my 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 family was not going to the to the mall as much, but uh, you know, we we watched all these the, the, this, this take off this this huge boost in, in volume take off, um, and at the same time, we we're watching it happen at all the ports uh, across the U.S. and uh, in, in the east coast of the U.S. and Canada. And as you know, the Canadian gateways are a very, very good uh, gateway to to go to the U.S. Midwest. So we're watching volumes go go up there as well. So I mean, it was really it was really a dramatic shift. Uh, you know, being down twenty percent to to volumes going up over twenty percent, and it all it all happened it all happened when within about you know a month a month and a half mm-hmm. of, of, of start to finish. So you know, you go from taking resources down uh, to, to having to not only bring resources back, but having to hire in some cases in some of our terminals in Toronto where we're, we've got new hires uh, going in. And, and that was really difficult, too, because, you know, when you hire people during COVID, usually you can have a class of, you know, 10 or 20 people doing training. Well, it's yeah. a lot harder to, to, to hire and, and, and get people back when you have to have a classroom with only two or three people in it that are socially distanced and they can learn. So... I mean, yeah, it was yeah. quite a challenge uh, getting back to where we to where we were. I mean, I'm really in a good place now. We've hired, uh, we've we've ramped up the resources. Our trains are are getting really fluid on the network. Uh, we're getting our velocity up, and and uh, things are things are very good right now, which is really important because you know even though we're we've got some hope on on the vaccines, yeah. uh, we also have uh, you know a, a bit of a third wave going on here right sure. now. But we've got to make sure that we keep our terminals fluid and ready to go if there's a, if there's an urgent need. Um, you know, I, I was speaking with uh, Dave Poirier, uh, and uh, he's an expert in, in supply chain logistics. And he described a history where the supply chain in general were so locked down and so optimized by retailers that it almost got too rigid. And that it was it, the challenge was responding to these kind of shocks. Would you think, would you agree that moving forward, even now, that the the bias now is towards agility versus lockdown. Like you, you know, you if you can't predict the future, um, you better be able to respond better to it. Is that your perspective as as CN, and and is that what you're hearing from your clients? Yeah, I think that um, I think pre COVID, I would say that um, most of the big cargo owners, retailers, I think we're really running a, a true just in time. Uh, supply chain. And uh, if there's anything uh, that has changed, it's now uh, more um, where they want to have a little more land side flexibility and be able to make sure that their their large SKUs are, are more easily, um, the large SKUs that they, they, they sell in their stores are more easily uh, nearby, uh, ready to, 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 to fulfill the stores. I mean, what we've really seen, I think, is a lot of concerned retailers with, you know, what is happening because of the pandemic. Why mm-hmm. they're ordering products 
much earlier um, because they never want to be in a position where three months from now, if there's a variant wave or something going on in Asia, that they can't get their goods. So they want to make sure their goods are secured here in a warehouse, ready to go in the so that they can put them in the stores quickly. You know, I really feel that um, that that's really driving what's happening right now. And as you know, concurrently or what's happening at the same time is uh, we've got ocean carrier capacity, which is tight to say the least. Mm-hmm. And we've watched. Ocean I, hear, I hear the I hear the spot rate. I I, I index the spot rate. Is, which is my amateur's way of kind of figuring out how busy the lanes are, are just at record amounts, right? Like, yeah, if you really if you really look at the situation where most of the contracts get signed in February, March, April of 2020, they're ending now. Uh, they were signed. They were signed as we were heading into a pandemic. So people that signed contracts probably had a really good rate, uh, but the spot rate uh, changed quickly. Uh, in order to fill out the ships and was raised uh, dramatically uh, to a point where we're seeing some some incredible rates uh, on the ocean. Uh, you would be ordering uh, on your contract, but if you needed more space, you would have to order on the spot market. And I'm sure you were concerned, of, geez, if I don't order now, I might pay a higher rate later. Um, so there was a lot of almost panic type, maybe panic type buying, maybe that's not the right word, but I mean, people were were really trying to get get things ordered uh, quickly and get them in, in in case there was another wave or, you know, even another wave here in North America. What happens if a, if a port were to have an issue with an outbreak or, sure. or anything like that? So, I mean, it can, happen. Uh, it can happen, right? I mean, let, let, let's bring that to you, to your front door, so to speak, or on your tracks. What does all this mean for you? Does it mean more marshalling, more storage? Does it, does it change the way you move the goods? I mean, you're, I suspect you're getting the goods out of these ports as fast as, as you can. Um, what has changed based because we've been talking about ocean liners and things, but what is, what is, what has changed from your perspective? Well, what we've seen is, is, uh, you know, uh, a couple things. First of all, um, there generally is a lot more freight desiring to come through the gateway than what the gateway can traditionally handle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know, we know the capacity of the gateway, um, how much, how many trains can be processed a day, how much work can be done. And, and, and really there's, there's ships that are still waiting to, to, to discharge. There, there's a lot more cargo than what the, the gateway can traditionally handle. You know, I'll, I'll preface that with, you know, in February, uh, you know, uh, we generally have uh, cold in Canada. It, it usually gets down to minus 25 or 30 or even 40 in some places across the West. So, uh, you know, that, that really puts a strain on the rail network because we're not able to run the same velocity and the same uh, speed uh, across the network as as we normally can. So it's a traditionally a time where our, our car supply is, is a little bit tighter to the, to the ports. They were getting a lot, a lot better now as the, as the network is warming up. But in general, there is a lot of cargo that still wants to be discharged uh, at the ports uh, and transited into Canada or into the, to the U S Midwest. And, you know, I don't, if everybody's reads, uh, you know, reads the periodicals that are out there and, we all know that the you know LA Long Beach is is the is the the biggest terminal on the U.S. West Coast and and they've got anywhere between thirty and forty vessels that are uh, at anchor right now waiting to uh, waiting to discharge. So I mean, all of the supply chains, in in, in, in my opinion, from what I'm reading and, and seeing, is you know every uh, supply chain is is uh, is uh, taxed right now with uh, a lot more, a lot of volume trying to transit through the gateways. Let's sure. get back to talking about retail and supply chain. So, kind of last question, second last question. But uh, as as 
as you sit with retailers and uh, turn that around a little bit, what would you, uh, what would your be advice? What would your advice be to retailers when they have the conversation around moving goods uh, with CN? What, what should they be thinking about for, for the future? Let's talk about the future and how should they be framing that up in their minds and, and that configuration of their, of their supply chains? Yeah, I, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think, I think it's imperative that, that we as CN and, and the true shippers, I mean, develop a, a better understanding of what the requirements are and the needs are uh, for the business. You know, in, in, in the past, you know, the traditional relationships are, you know, on the international side, we deal with the ocean carrier. Um, and I think it's important that we develop a deeper understanding of who's in the box uh, from an international perspective. And we, we develop relationships, whether it be with the forwarder or with, uh, with the uh, cargo owner. You know, um, everybody, we, 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 talk to the, we talk to the big shippers, but we really need to talk to more to the, the, the smaller shippers uh, mm. and understand their requirements uh, from a perspective and, and build products around their needs. Um, and so, I mean, from that standpoint, I think we're doing a great job there. Uh, we will only continue... Um, and, uh, you know, I think when it comes to, uh, e-com, uh, uh, the large retailer speed is very, very important. Uh, CN is blessed with amazing geography that we have, uh, across our network. You know, we got Prince Rupert and Vancouver, which are a day to two days closer to Asian markets so that we have the ability to be fast, uh, uh, off the ship. Uh, you know, even Halifax, uh, whether you're coming through the Suez or a North Europe trade, uh, it's still you've got to go right by Halifax before you get to New York. So we've got great, uh, great geography there that we can we can we can we can build our product around speed to market and uh, and and work with the, the train package in order to drive a, a consistent, reliable train that can be fast into the Midwest or into Toronto or Montreal for that matter. So. It's building products that, that the customers need. We've got to build better relationships with our, our cargo owners. Uh, and then on the, on the domestic side, it's, it's finding that right mix of 53-foot of business on the domestic side, uh, working with different products like transloading on the West Coast, uh, whether it be in uh, you know, Vancouver, which we do a lot of today, uh, Prince Rupert, which is developing their, their import and export logistics parks uh, right now. Uh, whether or in, in Calgary at our at our logistics park uh, LPC Calgary, uh, where we can we can we can marry up uh, shippers uh, with uh, a, an international to domestic supply chain in order to to speed their products to market. So I mean, it's it's uh, ecom is 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 the future. We're mm-hmm. not a, we're not a direct player. We're a supporter. We're a, a supply chain partner uh, with uh, with many many supply chain players, whether it's the ocean carrier or the port operator. Uh, but uh, we've got to be there and make sure that we've got the digital tools, which I think is the last piece here is the digital tools that, that, can, that can work with many different supply chains and give, uh, and give that information, that transparency and information to, to the shippers. Well, it's been a great discussion. We've kind of gone from uh, from the beginning to right to present day, so it's been a really nice, fulsome discussion. Uh, so, thank you for that. And uh, where can the listeners go if they want to learn more about uh, about CN, about your work, or or get in touch with you? You know, I think our best uh, resource is on the internet right now: www.cn.ca. Uh, it's very clean, clear, easy, laid out. 
you can you can serve uh, you you can you can go through different uh, markets that we serve and how we serve them. Uh, and there's great contact information available uh, on the websites uh, on our website. And uh, you know anything else? Uh, you know I you know reach out to uh, the account managers that we have, uh, and they're all listed on the on the website as well. Well, that's perfect. Uh, well, listen, uh, been great conversation. Thanks for joining me. It's been, um, uh, I wish you continued success and, and uh, continued uh, moving of the goods. I mean, uh, thank you for, for me to move, for you moving the goods. You, you, you're behind the scenes, but critical to uh, getting products and food on the shelf and feeding the nation. So, so thank you and, and all the hardworking men and women at uh, CN for, for doing that uh, in all kinds of, um, all kinds of circumstances. So, uh, yeah, Dan, thanks again for joining me, and, and uh, thanks for being on The Voice of Retail. Well, thank you, Michael, and, and uh, you, you made a really good point there. You know, during these times, uh, we really do need to thank all of the men and women, whether they're driving a truck uh, or a train uh, or, or a frontline, uh, you know, grocery store worker or nurses, doctors. I mean, everybody, we have to thank all of them uh, as, uh, as we deal with this tough time. So a great point there, and, and uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Voice of Retail. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the latest episodes, industry news, and insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review as it really helps us grow so that we continue to get amazing guests onto the show. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc. And if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn. Visit my website at meleblanc.co. Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.